The very idea of converging layer 1 optical transport with layer 3 routing may still seem ludicrous to many of you. You may be thinking about the valuable space a DWD module occupies in a router, or the power and the cooling it requires. But is that today's reality? Today's guests have spent the majority of their careers at this, this intersection of optical interfaces and advanced routing. And they're here to make an argument for why now is the right time. Multiple technology advancements, each with their own development curve, are now intersecting. And it's that origin point that is your opportunity. So this is a session that may be full of uh, new terms for, for some of us, but fear not. These two have a lived experience that they are quite good at sharing and they sincerely enjoy it. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration, all brought to you by Worldwide Technology. My name is Rob Boyd. Well, all right, gentlemen, so glad to have you with us and uh, both of you. Uh, are experts in slightly different areas, but with some good overlap. But I thought, let's make some introductions first, make sure everybody has it right. John, let's just start with you, shall we? Uh, what's a little bit about your background? What do you do for Worldwide? Yeah, sure. My name is John Cherini. I'm a technical solutions architect uh, focusing on optical and transport technologies. Um, I've been in the industry for about 20 years now. Um, in the same area of um, optical transport. I worked for Cisco Systems for a good 15 years and um, spent a lot of time with the large web providers and um, kind of where this idea spawned from, if you will. So uh, interesting. Yeah, looking forward to well, talking. They're, they're, they're pushing that speed and bandwidth envelope probably constantly. Is it, now the yeah. term I've heard used sometimes for some of you, the customers that you've worked with in the past is hyperscale, is that accurate? Is that yeah, yep, that's definitely been. Do you have been an opinion on that? You're Ma mass smirking. scale, yeah, <laughs> mass scale, yeah. It's Cisco's yeah, yeah, scale. it's mass um, scale infrastructure, yeah. Okay, yes, all right, Just, I'm in the ballpark then. Okay, yes, so we'll, absolutely. We'll go with that. And Mike, Mike, you've got a background both Cisco. You're a Cisco as well, but you're at Worldwide Technology now. What is it? Uh, what What are you good at, man? So, uh, technical solutions architect and MPLS and segment routing. I've been with. Worldwide technology for almost three years now. I was at Cisco for 14 years before that. Been in the business for over 20 years, um, focusing on large-scale enterprise service provider, any type of large network core backbone, MPLS segment routing, and very focused on segment routing over the last seven years or so. I've been involved with nice. the author Clarence Fisfis, uh, with reviewing both the first two original Volume One and Volume Two books, segment nice. routing and segment routing traffic engineering. And I'm also involved in the SRV6 uh, reviewing that's coming out. Uh, we're going to be reviewing it shortly. So yeah. I've been really involved with them. And been we publish a lot of material in segment writing. been doing that for a long time. You know, I'd love to talk about that further at some point because the, the whole how you write books like that, it, you know, that's an undertaking. And so, you know, man, that's incredible. And, and uh, especially when you're writing to explain, I think, technical subjects and such like this. But, uh, boy, you couldn't work with anybody better than Clarence, I think, obviously, on segment routing, since he's kind of the godfather there. If not the father, I guess. But um, regardless, you guys, so you got some routing background, you've got some optical background. You both have plenty of experience with regards to large customers and trying to do things at scale. So for today, the way I'd put it is I feel like the argument being made is that optical transport technologies and routing technologies should be converging at this point. And, and so if I have that right, what I'd like to do is to kind of set that up and make sure that 
that we all understand how we got to where we are and why some people may not fully embrace this immediately and maybe because they're not aware of what's possible, then I want to make sure that we've covered it. And so I thought we'd start with optical first, which, John, obviously, uh, that's going to be you. And um, so sure. I'm curious about status quo for optical. If, um, if you, do, you know, what is it? What are the traditional approaches? Yeah, traditional approach is that the optical system is its own entity. And, and that's, you know, that's what it is today for most providers. And granted, it's different for the web scale providers now. They, they've certainly moved to what we're going to talk about, um, you know, where there there is some convergence, there is some um, minimali minimalizing of the optical layer. But today, it's its own entity where you'll have multiple sites connected in a ring or a mesh. Okay. And we utilize Rotom, Rotom technology, a reconfigurable airdrop multiplexers. And that, that part of the network um, carries the traffic, right? You okay. might have 20 different wavelengths of 400, 500, 600 gig. And that, that infrastructure provides protection switching if there's a fiber cut somewhere, um, adding circuits, deleting circuits, and it's managed as a layer one network that hands off to routing. And then routing utilizes those paths and relies on the protection that it provides. Um, and it works great, but it's also can be cumbersome considering the technology we have available now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, okay. So it feels like, so fiber, we're talking about DWDM, correct? So dense wave direction multiplexing. And, and you're mentioning that everything's happening there at layer one. It stays in layer one, even at the Rotom. And the Rotom is a... Even at... Okay. Yep. The, uh, the Rotom functions at a, a photonic layer. It manages light. It sends light in one direction or this thing. You can, you can have five, six, seven directions or paths of fiber. And the you, know, you decide, do I need to go out one, two, three, four, five? And it's all done photonically as where if we were in a router, right, we do it. Um, more at the packet level. It's a, and that yeah. word is photonically, not plutonically, correct? Correct. I mean, it's probably platonic correct. as well, but it's photonically is what yep. you're doing. Photons, yeah, okay. yeah. Light photons, yeah, yeah. So basically, it's energy. what I'm saying. It's ma yeah, it's managing light waves. Yeah, okay. So okay. it uses, you know, if you will, miniature mirrors to, yeah. to direct the light. And, yeah. Well, so And uh, it works. Go ahead. And it works great. I mean, yeah. there's, okay. I mean, de deployed throughout the world, you know, every major service provider has hundreds and hundreds of these devices deployed. Um, but they are, you know, they're, they're expensive to develop, they're complicated to develop. Uh, there, there's challenges with going forward with mm -hmm. them that service providers start to realize, hey, there might be a better way to do this. And so, so are uh, manufacturers. Okay, but just to draw the physical picture correctly, we're talking about a device that that is. I'm sure it's racked. It's different. It's separate and distinct yeah. from a router in most situations today, because what we're talking about is yeah. not having them distinct. Um, but as so, it sits there. It's an additional piece of equipment that's generating heat, it's drawing electricity, and a lot of power and this type of thing. And uh, but it's extremely reliable. It's very consistent. It's a very mature technology. Uh, everyone that works yeah. with it gets it. So there's no mysteries around how to work with it which means they know the pros and the cons um, as it's, it's uh, kind of demuxing and remuxing the signal is really what it's responsible for. Correct. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a Rotom yeah. is used it, it really when you're talking about uh, kind of a 
something beyond just a line system, which would be point to point, but it's still point to point, but it's done because it can do optical pass through. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's a good point. That yeah, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. That's a it, that's a key point. Okay. So, well, yeah. Say say you have multiple sites that have Rotom devices, and say site one, two, three to make it simple. Mm -hmm. And site one needs to speak to site three, or or yeah, send data to site three. It can optically pass through site two. So basically, site two is practically invisible to the data. And that's re that's really important in network design because you can consume a lot of router ports. You can, you know, if you, if you were to have to stop at site two, yeah. And up at, up until now, it just didn't make sense because the routing ports, um, you know, weren't they were expensive, you know, up until the past couple of years, and and the optics to do it, it it just didn't make financial or or even logical sense, management sense at you know, up until now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, so the, one of the great benefits of a Rotom technology is that, yeah, you could decide that, Hey, this is just going to keep going via light yeah. or no, it's not, it's going to stop here. It's going to go into the router and go back yeah. because I need to add services there. Gotcha. But okay. the, that makes sense. Yeah. But the, the, the theory we're, you know, we're talking about and that, that manufacturers are, you know, some are manufacturers are really starting to run with is that we can do that functionality, that pass through functionality now in the router. It's affordable. The, um, the capacity's there. Um, and that's where we're going. Yeah. So I wanted to, I, I brought Mike back on because it's now time to talk about kind of where we are with routing. Um, so Mike, I, why has routing uh, not been, pro you know, obviously routers are involved, optical, they, they work together, but there's a very clean demarcation point between one technology handing off to the other in our layer seven, layer eight model. Um, but what is it, why hasn't this been happening before? I think, you know, uh, John's hitting on a little bit, but I wonder if we could double down on it. Yeah, well, what John was saying is very clear. Optical has extreme advantages of this pass-through technology that allows us to build networks without consuming bandwidth as traffic traverses from one endpoint to another, maybe going through multiple endpoints along the way. In the past, say 20 years ago, we were talking about one gig. Now we're talking about 400 gig and 800 gig in the near future. So now all of a sudden we're talking about bandwidth that's exploded uh, exponentially. Yeah, bandwidth consumption has exploded with video services and stuff like that too, but we're staying way ahead of the curve when it comes to transport bandwidth. And a lot of the things that have occurred over the years really are the modernization and the technical advancements in silicon technology, right? Now yeah. you see, you know, you go out and you buy a, a MacBook or a PC and it's got eight CPU cores in it, right? Everything's being scaled down. So now you have these extremely fast ASICs these chips sitting on router line cards that are doing all the processing. So what we're doing now, in the past we did layer three routing, which means we routed on the centralized CPU on the box. We've passed everything from a line card up to one CPU, we processed the packet, we looked at the header, we rewrote the header and we sent it out. Now we're doing that all on the line card. Yeah. So every line card has an individual CPU which handles all local packets primarily. And then we have ASICs that are handling every single port has an ASIC that's handling all this layer three switching. So we're switching packets at layer two speed. So the typical delay through a modern uh, 
high-end router is about four to six, four to six microseconds. Okay. Uh, the typical delay of one kilometer of fiber is 3.34 microseconds. So what we're looking at right now is the equivalent delay of a router is worth one kilometer worth of distance. And when you're traversing 100 kilometers from point A to point B, one kilometer is negligible. So now the router in between or even two routers in between that you have to traverse is negligible. What is more important is the bandwidth that needs to be consumed to go from point A to point D as you pass through B and C. Right. If you're passing 100 meg of traffic from A to D and you have to pass through B and C, you're now consuming 100 meg of traffic on both of those routers on B and C. And that is the one caveat that we are concerned with. But as bandwidth is exploding, we're sort of throwing bandwidth at the problem. That's how we're solving. Which you can throw bandwidth at a problem when you've got optical lines to deal with. Uh, it's it's much more scalable than any other previous technology. But so if I was to approach kind of the, the traditional approaches that are a little bit of a challenge here, just to make sure we're all clear on this. Um, so there's no routing happening with Rotom and make sure no one's no one understand, no one misunderstands, but Rotom is R-O-A-D-M. Um, and, but there's no routing happening, right? It's either a pass through or it's actually going to compute it and share it with a router. Uh, D, uh, essentially demultiplex. Yeah, demultiplex it, right. Yeah, it's going to basically steer the light towards the uh, transceiver, which converts it from a DWDM wavelength to electrical, electrical signal. signal. Okay that then you know, the router can process. And it's that process that has really enabled this um, transition or potential transition in that why, you know, why optical devices were so big, they were a full chassis, right? They were yeah. you know, six, you know, at minimum six rack units, which is uh, you know, what, 13, 14 inches of rack space, right? It uses their own power. Those devices went, you know, shrunk down to smaller boxes, again, driven by the web players saying, hey guys, you need to do this cheaper, you need to do this with less power. Sure. So, okay, here you go. We can do uh, two terabits in one rack unit in, in, uh, in an inch and a half. Um, they're like, okay, yeah, that, that's cool, but we need more efficiency, guys. We're rolling out hundreds of these enough. a day. Yeah. It's never enough. And so, you know, um, now that technology has been shrunken into a plug, into a, a pluggable so module. that's transponder, that can, right? Transponder. Okay. Yeah, the the device that converts from electrical to DWDM, which used to be one full line card, a couple of years, five years ago, yeah. um, six years ago, is now a plug, and it's four hundred gigabit, yeah. and soon to be eight hundred gigabit. So we can now plug that plug into a router port that, all as well, prices decreased in two rack units. We could have thirty six, roughly thirty six ports, say of these 400 gig DWDM optics. I mean, that's yeah. tremendous bandwidth, you know, and sitting in the we router. Needed. We needed both of those things to happen. The economics had to come into place and the speed yeah. had to pick up as things got smaller because smaller is also driving the pricing. Uh, but also with, uh, with what I like what Mike is saying here too, is it there's an offload so you're not sharing a processor attempting to do too many things. So these boxes can really specialize the processes with the ASICs uh, in that way they're doing stuff in hardware, not on a common CPU. Uh, that is also shared. Right. So this addresses what I think would be a, uh, the first thing anyone would say about doing this in the router historically would be it's what's going to be a latency issue. The transponders are going to be expensive. Uh, it's not worth paying that much for them to constantly do this. And if it doesn't fall under this uh, this this latency uh, threshold, 
you know, then it's useless. You can't use it if you're not going to be able to do that. Is that, am I, am I restating that? Okay. Excellent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You are, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. this was attempt. You know, this was attempted. You know, ten, fifteen years. Sorry, ten, fifteen years it. ago. Um, I believe yeah. Mike went like in the, the CRS one, right? Uh, there was an optical card. Yeah, two thousand and three, I think, two thousand four, and then in two thousand six, seven, we actually came out. So the CRS one for Cisco came out in like two thousand three, I think, if I remember correctly. And in two thousand seven, I was actually deploying some of these huge three hundred thousand dollar line cards. And think about three hundred thousand dollars back then, oh, right? Yeah. Into one of these boxes and we had now. so many problems with the and we had so many problems yeah. with these line cards failure rates and uh, stuff high yeah. power consumption now like john said we're putting this into a little uh, a little uh, a little transponder that's the size of your thumb yeah, and common you know so that it makes it easy to work with but like you yeah. did mention we are talking about things at layer three versus yeah. like layer one with optical so we do have to process the packets again the drawback but that could be seen in some cases as a positive spin because you could theoretically have a, a, a node in between that did some type of processing, and you could actually do that processing by implementing technologies with segment routing and other things to actually make that pass-through node process packets and do some type of function, whether okay. it be a deep packet inspection, a firewall. You can now use that to your advantage by having so all of thing. your... Yeah. Yeah. So since you're passing through all the site, the one site all the time, you could have one site handle this whole function and consolidate these functions at one site because of the fact that now you're passing. Everybody's got to pass through, say, site B to get to site D, you know? Well, let, let me ask you guys. Okay. So this is uh, first, I want to call out to our audience here that I'm basing my knowledge is it, it stems from a flow that I can tell you guys must have worked very hard on because I respect majorly anybody that can take complex topics and boil them down to a blog article and it be compelling and still technical. And I think you achieved all that. And we're going to put a link to a number of different articles uh, that I think you guys both recommended and or have just written yourselves. But this one in particular, I drew out of this in preparation for this conversation that there were kind of, there, there were three primary functions happening in the Rotom that if we're going to go to the router, they need to be replicated in a way that keeps everybody happy or it would be a no-go. One, and these have all kind of come up. I'm just kind of using them as a centralizing force here for the conversation. One is that it's got to be able to pass through traffic. The Rotom is passing through traffic. We've got to do that as packets, as you mentioned at layer three, instead of optical. So you've got to be able to do that in the router. The second one is we need path protection. So John mentioned, you know, uh, the fact that path protection is well known and how that's handled, um, you know, with a, uh, uh, what is it called? A loop or a... Um, What's the term I'm looking uh, for? In, in, in Rotom? In Rotom. In Rotom. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. There, a, there's, yeah, the, in a ring, in a ring configuration ring. or even a mesh where okay. sites have multiple paths to the, to each other. Yeah. If there's a fiber cut, yeah, it, it okay. optically changes the path it takes. And so I'm going to ask Mike about how path protection would be handled in the router now into this, in, in this, if we're not using the Rotom, since uh, instead of physically switching, you, you're going to route that traffic. And so we'll bring up TILFA in just a second and have you explain what the heck that acronym is, because that was one of the ones that threw me for a moment. Uh, but the, the third thing out of those three that has to be able to do is circuit provisioning, um, because instead of optical circuits, there's got to be some way to um, kind of create the end-to-end services. And, and I know yeah. that's where we'll get back into segment routing, which, Mike, obviously you have a lot of background in and can help us understand where that is. But if we cover this in detail, I wonder, Mike, could we start with this first one and just talk about the fact that um, – about pass-through traffic. Oh, sorry, Mike. I mean, uh, John, yeah, 
real quick, I, I just want to um, paint the picture of the architecture now with oh, Rotom gone. Okay. I just want to make sure that's clear. So we, you're moving to this architecture where the router is serving these three functions. Mm -hmm. So what happens now is the Rotom device goes away and all the routers are connected by a point-to-point -point network where basically it's just DWDM between each router. Okay. And it, there's no type of add drop function or pass through function. That's all going to be assumed by the router. So I just want to make sure that was, you know, clearly painted in people's minds. No, and I need yeah. you guys to double check me on absolutely everything that comes out of this uneducated mouth here um, yeah. as, as we do this. So thank you for that. Uh, Mike, do you agree with that setup? Is that enough for us to start going into uh, kind of talking about how we're handling the pass through path, how we're handling processing on the router side is, is kind of the first thing to break down. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing to point out is, you know, we have the option based upon how much fiber we want to utilize of creating a full mesh type of scenario or creating a ring scenario. We've always had that option, right? In older yeah. networks, obviously creating a, a full mesh requires more fiber, but it has its advantages because every link is 400 gig connected to every other, um, every node is 400 gig connected to every other node, where when you're doing a ring, you're going to consume bandwidth along the way. So one of the ways we avoid consuming bandwidth to get from node A to node D through B and C is we connect node A and the node D directly, but then we have to deal with N times N minus one over two, right? Because that is the full mesh formula and that's how many... That's how many connections you'll need based upon what N is, which is the number of nodes in your network. So there might be parts of your network that you densely fully mesh and other parts that you do not. Okay. And that's a choice you'll make. Yeah. But in, you'd mentioned before that we're into the four to six, four to six microseconds when you're switching packets. Um, I, th I believe I'm getting those numbers right. Right. We're, in the th we're within the threshold with routing these packets as well. But as you mentioned, connecting these sites in these different ways, what does that do to capacity planning, for instance? Well, the one thing you're going to have to consider is the fact that how much fiber do you have? You know, you still are dealing with a finite number of fiber, a finite number of connections, and a finite number of wavelengths that you're going to build between these boxes. And the more full mesh design you want, the more dense it is, because it'd be partial mesh probably in most cases, you're going to consume a lot more fiber. So in many cases, you might say, you know, I have enough bandwidth to connect A to D through B and C. I'm connecting 400 gig interfaces. And, you know, maybe I decide I bundle five of those together and I get two terabyte worth of interface. So one interface looks like it's a two terabyte interface, although it's being shared across five, 400 gig interfaces. And I'm not going to use that bandwidth so I can do that. That's cheaper for me than connecting directly from A to D because I don't have a fiber run from A to D. And that would require me actually, you know, trenching fiber or paying somebody else to lease me fiber. So it's complex, which but gets it's costly. Not, not unreasonable. In other words, these are not problems. No, there, there, there's a lot of different ways to approach this. There's a lot of okay. different ways to approach this. And it's going to vary based upon your infrastructure dramatically. Let me ask you this, though, about because I feel like one of the major contributors to latency in a routed network is reconvergence. And um, so convergence is, is really not an issue. Convergence isn't an issue anymore. No, okay, convergence isn't an issue, an issue anymore. anymore. Okay. We, we don't rely on convergence anymore. We rely okay. on TILFA, topology independent loop free alternate. And I want you explain what, can you explain what that is? Because that, that's what I was sure. up so, to. Okay. So the, the acronym LFA, Loop Free Alternate, has been around for a long time. I worked with this with Clarence back in 2012, 2013. Uh, it's a technology where we actually rely on a next hop node to route the traffic 
around a failure of a link. So if a link has a failure, if a node has a failure on a link from say node A to node B, he needs to go now to node C to go around the failure. What he does is he pre-programs and rewrites these tables ahead of time in, in his routing tables so that when a failure occurs, the only thing that's lost is a packet in what we call a transmit buffer or a transmit the ring, it used to be called. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's basically yeah. just a small buffer where the packets are placed on the wire before they're transmitted. So it's immediate convergence. Typically, this is done in far less than 50 milliseconds. The requirement is 50 milliseconds. Okay. Uh, you do have to detect link failure, but when boxes are connected directly back to back, you know, whether it's 100 kilometers or one kilometer, they rely on link fault signaling, which runs over 10, 100 uh, gigabyte. You know, all these different speeds all have this signaling, which allows you to detect failures in, in seconds. So it's almost I mean, like it I mean, knows, sorry, it. So, in microseconds. It knows where it's going to go in advance. So there's, it doesn't. Yeah. So everybody first you have this, to. So no one has to learn. Yeah. It is the big difference. So let me clarify that. Yeah. Okay. Let, let me clarify. Because first you have to detect the link failure, right? First you have to know that the link that. is down. Yeah, but that takes very little time when you use link fault signaling on gigabyte Ethernet technologies, microseconds, yeah. you know, maybe a millisecond at most. Then you have to detect the failure in the network from a software perspective. That's where LFA comes into place. Okay. And that is done in less than 50 milliseconds, which has always been the faster route requirement in okay. optical networks in now routed networks. And segment routing makes this very easy because it's there by default. Two lines of code on a box and the boxes automatically commute, compute all the alternate paths ahead of time with nothing else to do. And it's all done independent of the operator, no operator intervention. Well, can we cover and one that last thing? Yeah, because I want to cover segment routing. Can yeah. we refresh on that? But go ahead, what was that last point? The one last point is, although uh, it's done ahead of time and there's no operator intervention is always using what we call the post-convergence path. Unlike previous fast react technologies, which were done with RSVP traffic engineering. Mm -hmm. So whatever the path is after the failure, the final path after the convergence, like you talked about the convergence, which is going to be done in the background after that, that's called the post-convergence path. We always use the post-convergence path with TI-LFA. In previous LFA technologies, we did not. So you might use an alternate path for maybe two seconds until the convergence occurs and you decide to, re that's not good for capacity planning. Having the post-convergence path be the, uh, the, the failover path removes capacity, capa <laughs> capacity yeah, planning easy. from the formula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Easy for you to say. Um, well, before we jump into segment routing, John, I want to make sure, did you have anything you wanted to say on that bit yet? Because I wanted, I'm going to let Mike keep running. <laughs> for a yeah, second. yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that 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 is, you know, one of the most important parts of this is that we really didn't have a solution for these sub 50 millisecond switching times. And that's what optical has reliably um, provided for over 25 years. And so that's a, it's a really key factor that there, there that there's a way to do it. Um, so yeah. No, well, and obviously, okay. Factor. So segment routing is key to the simplicity, and I think a lot of people know about segment routing by now. But may, some people may not understand the because it's it's both simultaneously I think simple and complex. 
maybe to explain just how simple it is, if that makes any sense, at least that's the way I look at it. But I always look at it as kind of the successor to MPLS, very widely accepted. Yes, it came from Cisco and you mentioned Clarence, uh, but it's not a Cisco specific technology whatsoever. The industry has embraced it. But I wonder, uh, Mike, if you could just kind of break down what's most important to understand about, you know, the key components that play into this, uh, into this convergence. Yeah, so if you step back 20 years or more, you know, MPLS was invented by Cisco Systems and people adopted MPLS as a standard. And now segment routing MPLS is actually uh, replacing MPLS. It's actually using the same data plane, but it's removing protocols that actually handled the control plane, the actual exchange of information that allowed you to build this MPLS data switch network. Uh, SRMPLS does this with your standard IGPs, ISIS and OSPF, so it removes complexity. And that's where you get the TILFA, because now you're bringing in ISIS and OSPF into that process. So now ISIS and OSPF are aware of the full network topology, because that's the way they work. They're shortest yeah. path first algorithms, and they can compute shortest path first, or, the, or the, the best path to a destination from their perspective or their neighbor's perspective. And that's how the, the TILFA piece works. You, you calculate the path from your no, neighboring node's perspective as a route. You build this tree and you run this algorithm that does this. Um, one of the advantages of, of doing all this stuff is the simplicity. But to simpl simplify it even further, we have SRV6, right? Okay. So with SRV6, we remove the MPLS data plane. And we now use IPv6 as the data plane. So now we can actually transport a segment routing packet over an IPv6 network. And that IPv6 network could be as large as the public internet. Oh, wow. And so there's, only, not, <laughs> there's not the scale. Yeah, there's, okay. yeah there's, no re, there's no requirement for segment routing to exist on a router on the public internet. What you can do is you can have multiple sites around the country, say Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York, and you could traffic engineer a packet through different sites by putting a destination address of a particular city and only that router at that city would actually be running segment routing. And there you could do some type of segment routing function, segment routing V6 function, which actually doesn't extend just to traffic engineering. It, it, it extends to Linux boxes running SRV6 code, which have had the code for three years now plus, and they could be running things like Snort, deep packet inspection, firewalls. Uh, they could be doing NFV. You could force, uh, SD-WAN over an SRV6 enabled traffic engineering public internet to give you alternate paths. There's a lot of different possibilities here that you can explore with SRV6 because SRV6 now is is, is new in, in concept. Yeah. Only the initial features are out. Uh, so we're still playing catch up with SRMPLS, but it's moving very fast. It's moving even yeah. faster than SRMPLS did. Well, and it seems it seems like a good logical place to go, but as you said right at the top, the book's not even out yet, so we can't be there yet. You guys have a book to finish um, as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, let me ask you guys. So, um, so the so taking um, segment routing as being part of the answer here, I want to talk about the the third and final kind of thing we talked about in terms of getting off rodems was the ability to provision services. Um, and this brings in, Mike, I believe it's, is it, 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 it's the traffic engineering that you're talking about, but I just want to make sure that we've called this out um, in terms of how the intelligence is distributed, um, uh, you know, as opposed to how we kind of used to do it with RSVP. Is there a pro-con argument to maybe make a little bit more clear here? Well, the big pro argument is when we talk about segment routing, we're talking about source packet routing. Okay. 
spring is what the, the draft standard stands for. And that means we're not using soft state signaling. RSVP uses soft state signaling, and that means every router is constantly signaling the other router to maintain this tunnel state from point A to point B to build this traffic engineering tunnel. In an SR, it's a policy, and the head-end router encodes the policy as a list of MPLS labels or IPv6 address headers as part of the routing extension header, which is part of the RFC standard in SRv6. But there's some there's some uh, tweaks and and features that you can use to 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 um, to uh, consolidate that to make it so you're not using large IPv6 addresses all the time because that's one thing that always comes up with people. So that that's been addressed that problem. But the point is though, we're doing source routing, so we just encode it at the head end, and then the yeah. packet goes. And we can also do this very centralized with a controller that can have vision into an entire network by learning link state database information from multiple domains and multiple, multiple autonomous systems, even governed by different organizations that could all feed up to a single controller information that would allow that controller to build a path from point A to point Z across multiple domains. So it allows people to build really large networks with separate domains and separate ISIS and OSPF routing domains, which allows huge large-scale environments for a service provider and large-scale enterprises in federal. I think I know the answer to this, a bit of a softball, but uh, if, if just pretend John's not listening to us right now. Even without optical, Mike, do you still recommend segment routing as, uh, as the future regardless of where we're going with optical? Yeah, segment routing is the de facto SDN architecture. Everybody knows right. it. The deployments yeah. are increasing. It it just makes so much more sense. It simplifies things. SRMPLS is incrementally deployed in an MPLS network, which means you don't have to break anything to deploy it. SRV6 runs over IPv6 natively. So long as you have an IPv6 network, you can stand up two boxes that run segment routing, one in Los Angeles, one in New York, and you can do a layer three VPN over the public internet with SRV6. And that's all you need, two boxes. So that's interesting. So it has to be in Los Angeles or New York, you're saying? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, what, no, and what's interesting to note is though, what Mike's saying, the, yeah. so, the source routing paradigm, if you will, is very similar to how an optical circuit is built. It, uh -huh. it's, we know where it's going to go. The nodes know that that particular path is going to go through that node. And so it's, it's in similar, the packet has that all encoded in the header and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but it knows where it's going from its source already. And so it's very similar to an optical circuit. Yeah. Right on John. Yeah. Perfect. And the, and the yeah. more we kind of play with the, the physics and the things of course, that are supposed to be the way they are, they've gotten that way for good reasons. Uh, the less, uh, you know, the less friction, I guess, you'd get from making these kind of changes. So in other words, you're both saying this right. isn't a huge change. Um, in a kind of a summary perspective, you'd say, uh, John, you're saying we've got these efficient DWDM optics, these small transponders that can now fit into a port on a router, but also the pricing has come down. And so now, Mike, you're saying we've got routers that have the uh, that are processor dense and can offload to ASICs uh, so that you don't have the latency issues, but you combine all that because it, it, it feels like, these are distinct things that I'm trying to do from a conversational standpoint, but they all interrelate uh, in the fact that segment routing uh, is a big enabler out of reducing the complexity out of how you actually make this happen. Because it, it, it sounds like it still might be a little bit preventative if we didn't have uh, SR to, uh, uh, to consider in, in doing this. Yeah, SR really makes it uh, much more robust. And we haven't even touched on some of the capabilities of segment routing and some of the things you can do. Uh, Cisco's constantly releasing new features uh, that are actually making things so much more, uh, what's the word, um, 
desirable. They're just yeah, yeah pe- people are bumps. Yeah, because there's always going to be some, but you're you're knocking down the obstacles that are preventing full adoption, I guess, and and all the various scenarios that now are enabled. Well, let me ask you guys about that because I think segment routing is, is in and of itself is a topic. Optical is certainly in and of itself, uh, you know, a topic in many different directions. As too. Yeah. But uh, where to go for more information about, you know, I'm curious about um, we're going to post some articles that you guys have written. And those also have good links in them to other things at Worldwide Technology as well. Stuff from Cisco and then the stuff that's independent from Cisco that I believe you um probably took part in in terms of uh, with Clarence and team and just publishing for segment routing specifically. There's some standalone resources. Uh, John, would you uh, call out anything specific you think someone uh, that's interested in learning more about this topic maybe that they pursue? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, Cisco is spearheading this. The, the, okay. um, other vendors are still a little bit more hesitant towards, you know, saying this is the future. And so I, I will say Cisco Live in the past couple of years had some really great presentations around this subject. Um, there, I linked to them in um, Mike and I's article. Uh, so I, that that would be the best, you know, best okay. route. I'm yeah. a big fan of that material because nobody, because it's physically impossible to make all the sessions when you go to a Cisco Live. And I depend yeah. heavily on going back based on what I'm currently having to learn. And those recorded sessions are, are invaluable. And so yeah, CiscoLive.com, of course, you can get to that information, and that's good. Yeah. Uh, Mike, um, again, you keep writing, and you're working on a book, and so whenever these times are that you're not sleeping, uh, what kind of things would you recommend? Curious about worldwide, you know, of course, you have the ATC, um, and you guys are doing some segment routing training and some different workshops and stuff too, right? Yeah, so segmentrouting.net is the home landing page for segment routing in general. And just to be clear, uh, Francois and Clarence are writing the book. I'm just reviewing it for them. Okay. <laughs> providing <laughs> okay. some input I'm and feedback. To give you more credit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm providing input and feedback for them uh, on how it's user digestible. And that's what I've done in the past. And I've worked with them quite heavily on that. But we, if you go to www.com, um, I think it's solutions, carrier networking. Underneath there, there's optical and MPLS segment routing links. Um, okay. If you go to the MPLS and segment routing link, you'll find a whole bunch of material on articles labs so if you want to get yourself familiarized with either cisco and even juniper we have a lab that does juniper cisco interop with segment routing showing layer 3 vpn between the two vendors showing how you can do that we have labs in there that show you tilfa traffic engineering using a controller a centralized controller uh there's uh some training videos short like six to eight minute videos on all the different topics of segment routing one on srv6 and again the articles and then you can sign up for a workshop or a briefing that we can come in and talk to you about your environment and help you decide how you deploy this how you get to the next step and how you move in that direction because this is the direction of the future that this is unequivocal it's like calling out mpls 20 something years ago yeah, well, no, thank you guys for being willing to share this because I think it's, 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 um, it is where things are going, and it, I think you've made a good argument for the fact that it can be done now. Your article is called "Is Hop by Hop the Future of Optical Transport Networking?" I believe you guys are both authors on that, uh, yeah. but you've also got, as you mentioned, some good links in there. But uh, you've also got some standalone articles that you guys have written around the 400 gig optics, uh, the different uh, pluggable coherent optics, and kind of where that's starting to to uh, to really be something to take advantage of and then um, of course a lot of stuff on uh, on segment routing uh, which will continue to be something we need to all pay attention to because it's quickly becoming the norm for uh, for how we're doing these things well gentlemen i thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us on tech 37 i'm assuming we i think we covered it well you guys are are sharp 
So I appreciate you talking to me, of course. But uh, to our Thank audience you. as well, please subscribe. Please yeah. keep watching. We appreciate your time. And um, uh, with that, we'll return you back to your regular programming, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.